It's Monday, February 19th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke uh, as we, this week, walk through Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 36. And so we're looking at the identity, the mission, and the command of Christ. And what a chock-full passage we have today as we look for these 36 verses of Luke chapter 9. If you've, if you've been around church or if you've hung around church, it's, it's probably true that you've heard many of these stories. And, and what I want us to see today as we read through these 36 verses is, number one, the divine identity of Christ. Jesus is identified as divine through these passages. But second, we see the dedicated mission of Christ. What is his mission? What is he calling us to do? And we see that explicitly as he gives that same mission to his disciples and then the same mission to us. And then third, we want to see the devoted service is commanded by Christ for his followers. Christ is going to command that we have devoted service to him in these words. So let's start starting in chapter 9 of Luke, starting in verse 1. And he, being Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, being John the Baptist, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him being Jesus. On their return, the apostles told all that they had done, and he, being Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned of it, they followed him and welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But he, Jesus, said to them, you give them something to eat. They say, we we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And and he said to the disciples, Have them sit in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing over them. When he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. And, And what they had left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that as they were praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, What do the crowds say? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would lose his life, save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up in the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were were parting from him, Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let's, Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Oh, we see six uber-important vignettes in this passage, which Luke uses in sequential order to ultimately show the divine identity of Christ, the dedicated mission of Christ, and the devoted service Christ commands of his followers. Luke is using these details from the ministry of Christ to drive us on this side of the cross and on this side of the resurrection from dead to a death-defying faith that leads us away from fear and to exhilarating, exhilarating mission for Christ. And so we see this first vignette, the ministry of the 12 disciples. Jesus sent out the 12 disciples really to the same mission that he had been called to. Remember in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus quotes Isaiah to give his own mission, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? Proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Basically, Jesus had come to do what? to preach of the kingdom, and to heal us of our infirmaries. And that's what God tells them. He says, you are to go. You are to go and to preach this kingdom. You're to preach the name of this kingdom. And you are to heal, verse 2. Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. And this is the same mission that Christ had been called to, and he gives it to them. And the mission that he was giving them would be marked by three things, simplicity, urgency, and sincerity first simplicity, right? He tells him in verse three, take nothing with you. Take the tunic that you have on your back and nothing else. God will provide each and every one of your needs. Beloved, as we go on mission for the Father, let us remember that we need to be simplistic. We are dependent upon him and on nothing else. But that brings us to the second thing he calls this mission to is urgency. Verse 4 says, And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. In other words, don't stick around and try to, to, um, to spend more time in any city, but go. Go, therefore. Get out of there. Go. Preach the message and go to the next city. It is urgent. There is no time to contemplate. Preach the gospel. The souls of men are perishing, and we must be urgent in proclaiming the gospel. Orphan and vulnerable children are in need. We do not have time to waste. We must preach the gospel, and we must go. So this mission is marked by simplicity, it's marked by urgency, but it's also marked by sincerity, right? When you believe in your message, you don't water it down to sway people. You preach it plainly and with conviction. Jesus did not want the disciples to try to negotiate the gospel. He wanted them to preach it. If they were not heard, what were they to do? They were to move on. Verse 5, and, what, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
Do not water down the message. Oh, beloved, I'm so afraid in what we do. We allow social justice even to come into our mission, and it starts to water down the gospel. Why do we care for orphans and widows in distress? Because the gospel commands it. Because we're showing gospel justice, and because we want to preach the gospel. Oh, orphan care, defending the fatherless, is nothing less than a vehicle. It's nothing less than a vehicle, ultimately, to the greatest mission that was given, which is to preach the gospel and to heal people from their sin. So we preach the gospel. That's the first vignette. And then the second vignette, Herod's perplexed by Jesus. We see Herod wondering, who in the world is Jesus? And here's the deal that I want us to see, if nothing else. The disciples are sent out, and what they are doing with only their tunic on their back, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing, it is making it to the ears of the governor. Herod the Tetrarch, the governor, he was one of four governors over the Roman Empire, and, and Israel was under his jurisdiction, and he wanted power. And all of a sudden, Herod, there was stuff that was happening. Right, Verse 7, Herod the Tetrarch heard all about that was happening, and he was perplexed. What in the world is going on, Herod thought. Oh, beloved, know this. When we stand up for the cause of Christ, it will be noticed. It'll be noticed by the power-hungry governors. It'll be noticed by governments. It'll be noticed by people on the byways and on the highways. It will be noticed. Herod noticed this. Oh, and there's so much more that we could unpack here about Herod being perplexed by Jesus. But in this, know that people were starting to notice who Jesus was because he was being preached by his followers and the power of the kingdom was going forth by the word of God. And that leads us to just probably the most familiar of all of these vignettes, which is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Oh, but look, the, the, they return, the apostles return, verse 10, and, and they withdrew to Bethsaida. And they're telling Jesus about this, this, this adventure they had been on. But verse 11, it says the crowds learned it. The crowds had heard about what was going on on this adventure. And so now they want to flock around and they want to hear more about the kingdom of God. And so they come and, and they're hearing about the kingdom of God and, and they're, they're listening about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is filling them up spiritually. He is saturating them with the word that is flowing from his mouth to the point that they are spiritually full. But guess what? They may be spiritually full, but they are physically starved. They need something to eat. And here's the deal that I want us to see, if nothing else from this vignette of Jesus feeding the 5,000, is that the apostles, the same apostles who went with nothing but a tunic, who went house to house, preaching the kingdom of God and healing diseases, who saw the miraculous power of the Lord go out. So much so that Herod the Tetrarch noticed, so much so that 5,000 men, not including women and children, came to gather around Jesus. Stuff was happening, but they forgot who they were with. They had just come back from this trip and they forgot about the power and the mission of Jesus. Look at this. They forget. Jesus says, find them something to eat. Verse 13. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go to the store and buy food for all these people, what are we to do, Jesus? These are the same 12 guys that just been sent and told, don't take any bread, don't take any money, don't take a bag, don't take a staff, and don't take a journey. And they didn't come back from this trip famished. They came back from this trip with all of their needs met and the kingdom of God proclaimed. They forgot who they were with. Oh, they had been told to have faith that the Lord would provide for them, but they forgot the power as soon as they came off the high of the trip. Jesus loved the multitudes. He wanted them to be fed. Oh, what we have in ourselves to give others is insignificant. But when we trust Jesus and place the need in his hands, he can do great and miraculous things to change the lives of others. 
Huh, wh why do we doubt? Why do we, why do we, why do we worry? Why do we, why do we crack our knuckles and worry and doubt and disbelief when we have the power of Christ in us to do great things? It is not dependent upon ourselves, but it is dependent upon Christ. And when we are for his mission and his glory, we know that he's going to show us up to equip us with every single need. So what do we have to fear? Right? We don't fear negative sentiments. We don't fear the culture because we serve a God that is miraculous and more passionate about his glory and his people and the orphan and the vulnerable than we ever could be. When we're finally to the end of ourselves is when he begins to show off. Let us not forget, if we, if we don't bring anything else from this Jesus feeding the 5,000 and looking at these passages in Luke, let us remember that we should not forget the power of Christ that is alive in us. If you are a Christ follower today, the power of God resides in you to do miraculous things for his glory to the ends of the earth. Oh, and that brings us to the, the fourth vignette, Peter's confession of the Christ as well as Jesus' prediction of his death. And so at first you may think this is one of those perplexing times. Why is Jesus asking? If he's omnipotent, if he's omniscient, if he's sovereign, if he knows all things, why is he asking such a benign question like he does in verse 18? Who do the crowds say that I am? Is that really what Jesus is asking them? Is that really what he wants to know? Right? And so they answer him, John the Baptist, you know, some are saying Elijah, and, you know, others are just saying maybe another prophet that came to rise. But here's the point. Jesus was probing their hearts. He didn't really need to know what the word on the street was. He already knew what the word of the street was, but he was pulling them in to probe their hearts. And then in verse 20, he pulls the question. Man, he brings it out and he stabs them in the heart with it. He says, yes, but who, who do you say that I am? You're my followers. You're the ones I sent out in power to go to the highways and the byways and to preach the kingdom and to heal. You're the ones that saw me feed 5,000 out of a little boy's lunch. Who do you say that I am? Oh, and Peter boldly says, the Christ of God. Or as Matthew records it in Matthew 16, 16, Peter, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then upon hearing this confession, Jesus reveals the true nature of his mission. Well, if you really believe that, Peter, oh, disciples, if you really believe I'm the son of God, then let me let you know I'm not a political Messiah and I'm not a governmental leader. No, I'm actually come to die. I've come to take on the sins of the world. Verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. Oh, he asked who they thought he was so that they would understand what he came to do. His mission was to save sinners. His mission was to take on the penalty of our sin. Jesus must suffer because he was bearing our penalty upon him. He would suffer at the hands of man and suffer at the hands of the Father when the Father turned away. He would be rejected by sinners and rejected by the Father as he bore our sin upon his sinless body. And he would be killed by men and sacrificed by the Father on behalf of the sins of the whole world. Oh, imagine the perplexing nature of the disciples. They've been sent out in power. They've seen him feed 5,000. And now he's asking them who they say he is just so he can say, well, guess what? I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and be killed and raised up on the third day. Imagine in the United States of America, if we have a presidential candidate who wins the election and, the, and he wins the, the electoral college and he's going to be instituted as the next president and on his inauguration address, he says to us, I'm going to be suffered as I come to Washington. I'm going to be rejected as I come to Washington. And ultimately, I'm going to be executed. Right? We would think this guy was crazy. What in the world? But that's what Jesus was saying. I'm not a political leader. I'm not a governmental messiah. I am the savior of the world. And so the hope that we proclaim is that the grave could not contain him. 
that he rose victoriously and he defeated sin and its penalty, death. And so now, now we have great hope because he wasn't just to bring apart the kingdom of Israel. He wasn't just to come apart and bring another government ruled system, but he was coming to bring a kingdom within his people. Oh, and that brings us to the fifth vignette, which gives us our invitation to join in the story. This was not just to the 12, but this is all. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, deny ourselves and take up our cross. There are four things that I see from this passage that the Lord wants us to deny. He wants us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And this means we must surrender our self-righteousness. We cast away all our pride, our trust in our own acts, and our trust in nothing but Jesus Christ. We deny ourselves by denying our attempts at self-salvation and legalism. Oh, beloved, as Lifeline works to manifest the gospel to orphans and widows, know that it doesn't depend on us, it doesn't depend on you, and it doesn't depend on all of us collectively. No, we must lay down our agendas, our ideas, and our pursuits to defend the will of our Father. We defend the fatherless on behalf of defending our father. It's not about us. It's not about us saying yes to the next child. It's not about us being a foster parent. It's not about us being an adopted parent. It's not about us doing unadopted. It is about us realizing that the only good in us is Christ in us. So deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus means that we surrender our pride. We surrender our self-righteousness. But second, it means we must surrender our sinful desires. We must be willing to give up every habit or practice which compromises our integrity and obedience before the Lord. I want to ask us, are we more interested in our liberties before God? Are we more interested in liberating sinners to our great God? Let us not continue to go on sinning just because it's our liberty to do so. But let us liberally preach the gospel so that sinners will hear this message and will repent. So deny ourselves and take up our cross daily means that we will surrender our self-righteousness. It means that we will surrender our sinful desires. But it also means we will surrender our love of ease. Oh, beloved, it's not a primrose path to follow after a Savior who willingly laid down his life and reputation at the cross. We are a people who prefer pleasure over pain. We hate trouble. But there is truly no gain without pain. Recently, I was working out at a gym and I realized how absolutely weak I am. But I'm not going to get stronger if I'm not willing to go through the pain. The only way you get stronger at a gym is you work out and you, you go through the pain in order to gain more muscle. Oh, beloved, we are a people, especially if you're listening to this podcast in the United States, we are weak need. We are a weak people who won't ease over pressure. And I'm telling you that if we are going to truly care for orphans, if we are going to truly make this gospel known, it's going to be hard. It's going to cost us our ease, our relaxation, and our comfort. And when we want to not only care, but to see the gospel made manifest, then we are waging war on the domain of darkness. War is hard work, but the spread of the gospel and of the kingdom of God is worth nothing less than all of us our lives. So to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus, it also means fourth, we must surrender our favor with the world. Oh, Jesus said in John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Oh, if you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Oh, beloved, it's not going to please the world or this culture when we don't compromise from the gospel and the conviction of Christ. But we are spreading the fragrance of the life of Christ even through the smell of the utter decay of this culture and this world. Darkness always hates light. And so we must understand that when we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, it means that we are surrendering our favor with the world. 
Oh, so beloved, let us deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. Because what does it profit us to gain the whole world, yet forfeit our soul? Oh, and here we see this. And then verse 27 in this vignette of following Jesus, after he said to take up your cross and, and do not be ashamed of me, verse 27, he says, I tell you truly to those that were standing around, there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And I'm sure the people there thought, oh, wow, there's a kingdom coming. And, and some of us are going to see it. There are probably some of us because we're not going to die. And even at, on this side of the cross, sometimes we read that and say, but all those guys died. They're dead. They're gone. But the verse says, you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. And then look, this is our sixth vignette. Verse 28. Now, after eight days, after saying this, he took up Peter, James, and John, and they went up to a mountain to pray. Eight days later, Jesus makes good on his promise that some standing there would see the kingdom of God before they tasted death. Oh, what started off as an intimate prayer gathering ended in a mind-blowing display of the glory and the kingdom of God. In this moment at the transfiguration, the true identity of Jesus was made manifest to Peter, James, and John so as to leave no question that Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, Peter, you said it. You said you believed it. You said you believed that I was of God. Now you will see it. But still, even after saying it, even after all that he had seen, Peter equated Jesus on the level with Moses and Elijah and these great pillars of faith. And before we start shaking our finger and shaking our head at Peter, that's us, right? Oh, he's looking at Elijah. He's looking at Moses and he's looking at Jesus. And, and it's just like when my kids at the end of the weekend, they hate when the weekend's in. And they're always begging, Daddy, please just stay. Stay a little bit longer. Do a little bit longer. Do a little bit more. Spend more time with us. Right? We always want it to linger on a little bit more. And that's all Peter wanted. He's like, this is a good thing. Oh, this is good. Master, it's good we're here. Let's pitch tents. Let's have a campfire. Let's have s'mores. Right? Let's you and Moses and Elijah and I kick back and James and John. Let's just all tell stories about old days. But the thing is, Peter missed the point. Peter missed it. And so God, the Father, spoke to make it abundantly clear. And he etched a memory in Peter's mind. Oh, the voice said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Oh, and that changed the trajectory. Peter in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, tells in his account of how what a great manifest it was to see eyewitness the majesty of God. This changed everything for him and the word that he would proclaim. Beloved, God makes the identity and mission of Christ abundantly clear through his word, through his spirit, and through his work. And our question today is, will we follow his commands wherever he leads us? And so we see clearly who Jesus is. We see his mission. And the, the, the true question is, will you follow his commands? So this week, we are praying for the country of Poland. and We are praying for the people of Poland. Uh, they are mostly of Catholic descent or Orthodox Christian. Pray that the gospel would penetrate their culture and that the truth of Jesus Christ would be revealed. Pray for the ministry in Poland. After the difficulty in 2016, pray that their hearts would change to see adoption as a positive thing. Pray for local court judges who seem to have more power in the adoption decision than in certain regions. Pray that they will see the value of adoption and the value of children having forever families. Pray for continued favor with our partner, the Catholic Adoption Center. And pray for Sasha uh, Yakabinko, our, our partner and our, our Eastern European director on the ground, as he continues to serve to navigate the program and build relationships with government officials. Oh, pray for uh, Josh and Jana and Brianna and Toria, uh, our team here in, on the ground in the United States, as they continue to navigate the changes of the Poland program. 
and praise the Lord that we are building a strong relationship with the Catholic Adoption Center and praise the Lord for families who are called to older children and sibling groups and are looking at Poland as a viable way to care for orphans. Pray that more families will come. Father, we pray for the country of Poland. We certainly pray for my brother Sasha as he continues to serve selflessly and with great passion and great resolve in Poland and as well in the rest of our Eurasia programs. We pray that you would give him resolve, that you would give him opportunities to navigate the program and build relationships with government officials. Lord, we pray for the people of Poland, that that they would come to see the clear gospel made manifest upon them, that you would pray that the churches would be strengthened and would preach your name boldly with conviction. We pray for judges and rulers in local areas, that they would make a way for these children who need forever families to have forever families through adoption. Lord, we know that you love the country of Poland, and we give it to you, and we praise you for the opportunity to get to work in Poland, and we praise you the opportunity to get to come before your throne, to beseech upon our brothers and sisters in Poland, and those in Poland who have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel for you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us as we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.